1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we looked last week, in particular at verse 13, where there is this call for every believer not to be ignorant regarding the truths that God would have for you. So this morning, that's the hope here, that everyone would not be enlightened as if I have something that you uh, could not find out yourself, but that we would be enlightened by the knowledge of the scriptures of what God has told us. So the desire here is that we would not be ignorant in particular concerning those brothers and sisters in Christ who have died already. The idea being the doctrine of the day, the swells of different teaching of the day uh, are no different in many ways than they are for us here in our society. One of the, I don't, I don't know how this works, how the algorithms work. Uh, for whatever reason, I went to our website or our, our FBC live YouTube thingy majig and I went there and uh, you know many times there are videos listed on the side that you could click on as well and uh, there was some message by somebody uh, right beside fellowships said something like why why God doesn't matter uh, why uh, churches don't matter was another one and uh, I don't know how all that works uh, but as we look at this today, there are people believing all kinds of stuff all over the planet. And you can be willfully ignorant of things. Uh, in this teaching here this morning, God wants you to know particularly as believers where your loved ones are who know Christ. Now that's a pretty important caveat. Your loved ones who know Christ. Um, and to this, this passage speaks. The passage says that there is a discouragement that was going around in the day of some teaching that there was no resurrection, that when you die, that's simply it. That teaching is still around today. Some call it uh, annihilationism or maybe another label that you might have. That when you die, that is simply all there is. Some would believe that to be a comfort because there is some inclination of knowing the truth of the Word of God. There are some who would like to evade God and evade a, a, an accountability to God. So for some in that arena, the idea that we simply cease to exist and escape somehow the judgment of God might be somewhat appealing. Well, those truths were there. Uh, other, other different teachings uh, were around the society of the Thessalonians as well that were bringing them discouragement over, well, what about our loved ones? So, in particular this morning, we recognize that in this room, uh, based on your age and life experience, there are many here who've lost loved ones. Some closer than others. As we looked at this last week, there was in particular a verse that we referenced teaching that we certainly understand the Bible's teaching that there is not the doctrine of annihilation. Uh, and as we have come to note, there are those within religious circles who want to maybe not deny annihilation, but they would deny that there is a, an eternal hell. So let me say something about those things before I come to a truth that we referenced last week. And that is this. You can either make up your own truth or you can come to God. And it really is that simple. 
You can make up your own truth, but making up your own truth doesn't make it so. I've got news for our world as I take a moment uh, over reflection over our society. You can tear down every statue in America. It will not erase our past. It will not take the bad of who we've been in society and make it go away. I will also simply note the bad of taking down all of that past is to assure or ensure or seek to ensure that anything that we've learned in the process is lost so that we are potentially heading towards the same type of errors again. And again, my point is this, making up your own truth gets you nowhere but lost. You can tell yourself, I'm going to get to California heading east, but you're going to have a, a hard time living that reality, and I know you're not going there anyway. <laughs> Stop it now. I, now, I, I've done it before. I'll do it again. This is a place where you need to recognize many have come here from the coast. If you've come here from the coast at any point, would you raise your hand? Raise them high. It's okay. I know. Look at what he made me do in church. No, it's okay. Listen, it happens all over here. The point is, listen, people are making their truth based on what they want to believe and ignoring the truth of God. It will get you nowhere but lost. This place, every, every Christian place of worship today should be centering on the truth of what God has to say and not what men have to say. And a good church is based on whether or not it adheres to the truths of the Word of God, not on its size, not on its programs, not on what it offers, but whether or not it anchors on the truth of the Word of God. So, the Bible teaches that there is a literal hell. The Bible teaches that annihilation is not true. The Bible teaches of no purgatory. The Bible teaches of no place of in-between. When this soul is separated from the body, it goes one of two places, either in union with Christ to be with him, or it is separated from him, not only through death physically, but the soul separated in hell. That's what the Bible teaches. But for the believer, for the believer which is what the intent of this passage is to minister to, what about your saved loved ones? We referenced this verse last week. 2 Corinthians 5.8, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be what? Present with the Lord. We are willing to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. The older you get, the more willing you get. Amen. Is that true? I've known, I've known some of you long enough where I've seen you age. Not me. You. Stop it. The doctrine, the doctrine of the Bible is that we as believers understand that when we leave this physical frame behind, we are going to be with the Lord. Verse 14 is where we come to this morning. So he says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have died, those who are asleep, that you sorrow not. That's what the word there means when it says asleep. You, those believers who have died. And it goes on to say, even as others which have no hope. 
He says, for, in verse 14, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep or have died believing in Jesus, that sleep in Jesus, will God bring with him. We noted a few things last week in this verse. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, even as he said. I read this note from a commentary last week that I want to read to you again, just to underscore it one more time. It's from the Bible Knowledge Commentary, very short, concise commentary, but I think it says it well regarding the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Christ. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ are among the best attested facts of history. Since Christians know these events took place, they can be equally certain that the souls of believers who have died will return with Christ when he comes for his saints. The prophecy of the rapture is as sure to be fulfilled as the prophecies of Christ's death and resurrection. They are as sure as those prophecies that have already been fulfilled. So, we are not to live and walk on this planet as those who don't know the Lord and live without hope. We mentioned this last, last week. Why are people so voracious about social justice today? Well, there may be a lot of reasons, but I would submit that one reason people are so voracious about it, so vehement and violent about it, is because this life is the only life that they're having hope in. And I better get what I want now, or I better find my happiness now, because this is the only shot I've got. It's why so many people are afraid in context of, what if I get this sickness and I die? You know, if this is all you've got, we're going to see that you're not going to find hope, even if you've got all you want. I'd like us now, and, and I'm going to depart largely from 1 Thessalonians, but I'm springing off of 1 Thessalonians not to lose context, but to bear other scripture that speak to this truth as well. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, from 1 Thessalonians going back to our left, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, not being ignorant of what God has for us, he's given us several places in the Bible that teach about the rapture, that teach about what's in front of us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is one of those passages. There is another that we'll look at as well. I'm going to guess that these two passages we're going to look at will probably consume our attention for the time that we have this morning. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12 through verse 23. I'm going to read the passage and I'll come back and discuss it with us together. But if you have your Bible open there, would you read it out loud with me in worship? 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 23, reading with me now. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, 
and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. At this passage, we recognize a lot of truths that we've already just noted in reading verse 14 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And that is this. You may try to make up your own truth, but it doesn't make it so. There is or was in the time of this writing, there was a teaching that there is no resurrection. And it had its natural effect in the indoctrination of that truth that it left people without hope. In particular, those who were hoping for their loved ones. Now, I, I can't get around this truth. This is imperative to hear and to note this morning. Are you with me? Do I have you with me? Everybody with me? Someday, the Lord tarrying, your physical frame is going to fail and you are going to die. At that point, your loved ones may be gathered around your frame, and they may be seeking a service to honor you, to remember you. They may call a preacher to come and speak at your funeral. To that end, I've had family call me whose husband, there's a husband father who passed away. He was known, he was known in his life for being a godless man. Truck driver, living his life, doing his thing, gets in an accident, dies. As his family gathered together, I was the only one they knew, and I did not know them. I was referenced to them. They called me. They asked if I would preach a funeral. I went and met with the family. And here's what they wanted me to somehow do. They wanted me to somehow preach him into heaven. They wanted somehow me to reconcile the fact he was known as a godless man open about it, and now that life in the physical frame is separated, that soul is separated, where is he? I, I know that in this room, 
There are many who have unsaved loved ones. Listen, no family member can get saved for you. No family member can save you. There is the desire that all of us have that our loved ones will be in heaven. Amen? We desire that. We long for that. We, we want that to happen. But nobody can preach you into heaven when you have denied Christ. No one can make you a believer once you have died. No one can rescue you from hell once you are separated, this soul, from this body. For God sent not his son into the, into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, what? Might be saved. It doesn't matter if they're sitting right next to you, in front of you, behind you, or across the waves or across the miles of this land, you can't save your family member for them. They have to be saved themselves. The point is this. I cannot give hope to a believer who has a loved one who's died not knowing Christ. Why? Because the scriptures are true. There really is a heaven. There really is a hell. And listen, folks, as much as annihilationism is not true, universalism is not true either. The idea that everybody's going to go to heaven is contrary to all that the scriptures teach. But this passage says, listen, if you've lost a loved one who knew Christ, you're not separated forever. They are not simply vanished into the smoke of time. It's not simply a grave plot to visit, to put flowers, and to mow, and to put a vase, and to remember. No. If you have a loved one who knew Christ, at this very moment, they are experiencing the presence of the Lord. At this very moment. At this very moment in time, they are experiencing the glories of heaven. They are experiencing a presence that knows no coronavirus, knows no mask, knows no confinement, knows no hindrance, knows no pain or sickness or sorrow or crying. In the presence of the Lord, as the Bible says, there are joys forevermore. Now these are truths that we have to reconcile. But this passage is saying, look, in verse 19 says it well, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Well, why does he say that? Well, Paul would reference this idea, particularly, I think, for this reason. Paul had suffered greatly for the cause of Christ. He had given all. Had been wounded for Christ. 
many times. But take that away, for this is what he'd given his life to. Let me ask you, you take Christ away from you, and what do you have? If you take Christ away and the hope of the gospel away from you, what do you have? Does your house really matter? Does your car, is that really going to bring you the satisfaction you're looking for? Are you ever going to find peace and contentment in the material things that you hold? Yesterday, we had, my wife was doing, preparing for Sunday school. There was a little trophy sitting on the table. She was copying that trophy for her lesson. And what little trophies are collecting dust in your life? At one time, you might have thought, if I get that thing, boy, I, I, I really will have attained everything that I want. You're just going to find this truth over and over again. If you're trying to find contentment out of Christ, you'll, outside of Christ, you'll never find it. You'll never find it. Colossians 3 further reiterates this truth. Colossians 3. You see, the resurrection changes everything. The resurrection isn't just a made-up doctrine. It had witness, the resurrection of Christ had witnesses, and again, as one commentary, as we already read, substantiated, it's one of the most solidified facts of history. But has it solidified to us the change that it makes in our experience in walking through this life now? Do we fully appreciate and comprehend the nature of the resurrection in our lives and the hope that it brings? Colossians chapter 3 Verses 1 through 4. If ye then, and the idea of if ye then has the idea of since this is true, then. If ye, then, if ye be then risen with Christ, do what? Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above instead of where? Not on things above on the earth. What is the reference? For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. This passage is teaching. Because of the resurrection, we have something yet in front of us. And we are to set our affection on that which is yet in front of us. It changes everything. And this is an admonition from Scripture that has to be applied in your life. So I'm going to ask it this way. Are you with me? What are you living for? What are you hoping for? Are you hoping at some point that in the political structure of America that everyone will start loving President Trump? It might just happen tomorrow. (laughs) 
Are you hoping that there will be somebody after Trump that will reconcile the world to being at peace? You do recognize in the prophecy that is yet to come that this is exactly the message that the Antichrist will bring. He will be a messenger of peace. He will be an identifier of one who is bringing the world together and somehow uniting all. There will not be peace in the heart of the individual walking this planet until there is a coming to Christ. That coming to Christ has to happen. But believer, in your life, what are you living for? Since you are, if you then be then risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Look for all the hope and all the promises that God has given us. Verse 2, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Is that true for us? What are we investing in? Are you excited about the stock market? Are you encouraged by the stock market or are you discouraged by the stock market? The kids are saying, what are you talking about? What are you hoping for? This passage summarizes here when it says, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Are you with me? Okay. What next? Well, the intention of this message isn't to preach the rest of Colossians. But if you were to read the rest of Colossians from verse 4 through verse 17, the very next thing he says in verse 5 is, Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. He goes on to say fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry. And he goes on about what it means to have the hope of Christ in you, which changes what our focus is on right here as we're navigating this planet. The world today looks like a world would look without Christ. The violence of man upon man. The injustice that we do one to another. And I'm going to say without regard to color, and sometimes with regard to color, is just an expression of the evil nature of man's heart. And it has always been there. But you, as a believer, are given to a position of hope. Now, with some degree of foolishness, I'm going to step into verse 15 only with the idea that I will not be able to give complete justice to all that is tied up in the following verses. Verses 15 through 18 would do well to be handled together as a thought. Uh, but we'll read verse 15 of 1 Thessalonians 4 and recognize this as we read it. For this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. We will do well to note that this message, as it says in verse 15, is a message that comes directly from the Lord to you. This message is from the Lord, 
And the message is this, that there is coming a day when Christ is coming again. And there is an order to the events, and I'm going to tell you, I do not understand all of the order in the sense of why does this particularly matter to the Lord, except for the fact that it does. And here's one thing that we note, that when we see our loved ones again, if we do not die first and go to glory, the next time we see our loved ones, it's going to be when the Lord comes back and brings with him all those saints who have died with him. All those believers who have known the Lord and have died, when the Lord comes back, he's bringing all of them with him. So when Christ returns, he will be bringing all the souls of all the believers who have turned in faith to Christ. This admonition, verse 15, is given to you as an encouraging hope as this is the testimony of the word of the Lord. Verse 16 goes further. For the Lord himself, and describes how this is going to happen. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So when we go back to verse 15, just a point of order here and a point of reference, saying that those who are alive and believing in Christ right now will not go to the Lord before those who have died. Instead, and that's what the word prevent means, they will not precede those who have died in Christ already. <coughs> Instead, when Christ comes, he will bring them with him already. And then he says in verse 16 that it follows this order. The Lord is going to descend, and there are several things of sound given in this passage. There's going to be a shout, there's going to be the voice of the archangel, and there's going to be the trump of God. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So what he teaches here is that the souls of all those saints are going to come with him, and when this happens, all of those souls will be given at that point a glorified body. The dead in Christ shall rise first. They will receive that glorified body at that time. Now, I would simply note about all the sound, the, again, the shout, the voice of the archangel, the trump of God. Anybody here got somebody in your life that's a little bit hard of hearing? Anybody got somebody in your life that has selective hard of hearing issues? So, I mean, it just happened last night. It, it, it just it happens. It just happens. <clears throat> Joe was trying to get the attention of Jonathan, who was sitting some 12 feet away. <clears throat> and he just kept getting louder. And he kept yelling, Jonathan. Jonathan. And Jonathan just wasn't hearing him until he finally got loud enough. Have you ever had a parent go, hey. As soon as I do this, some of you haven't been paying attention. Uh-oh, uh what? <laughs> what do I do? There's that, there's that start brought to alert. This is the point. The notice of those three affirmations of, of being adamant about sound is this. You will not be mistaking in some way the call of God when Christ returns. He's not, he's not going to miss you. 
He's not going to somehow leave you out. You're not going to be somewhere and, and not be able to hear the attentive call of the Lord calling you to his presence. It doesn't work that way. So the, the point is given with all of these sounds to assure you that when he comes, you will know it. Now, by the way, this will be true for all the saints. This ought to really encourage you to give you some loaded doctrine for your, for your ammunition for those that say, hey, here's a Christ, or here's a Christ, or here's a Christ, someone that professes to be that one. There will be no mistaking it for every believer. You will know. And the passage says that the dead in Christ will rise first. It says there's an order, then we, which are alive and believing in the Lord presently, and remain, are still on the planet, when the Lord comes, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So the doctrine is the Lord comes with the souls of his saints who've died already in him. They've been with the Lord, but now he's going to give them a resurrected body. They'll go first. We, who are alive at that time of his coming, will be ushered into his presence right after that, and we will receive glorified bodies as well. Now, there's a point here that I'm going to make, which is entirely secondary, but it's worthwhile noting. From time to time, any Bible student or any preacher or Sunday school teacher will, will get asked, what do you think about cremation versus burial? Now, I'm going to tell you, I like burial because I like the picture of a seed going into the ground. But I'm also going to tell you this. It does not matter. It does not matter. There are those who would be cremated who don't know the Lord with the idea, I'm going to assure the fact that I will not face judgment because I'm going to have my body burned. Let me ask you, have any, have any believers been burned to death? Have any people been martyred through the flames of fire and lost their lives because they were professors of Christ? Has that happened in history? Yes. Is the Lord going to say, hmm, I guess I don't know what I'm going to do about them? You see, what we have is some kind of a, forgive me, a stupid reference to the limitations of God. Do any of us need to re be reminded that God created everything that, it, that is ex nihilo, which is out of nothing? God doesn't need your help to do what he's going to do. And doing what you do will certainly not prevent his sovereignty. The great king of kings is lord of all and can do as he pleases. And it is entirely within his scope of power to give you a glorified body. Amen? No one will escape the resurrection either unto life or unto judgment. Now, I don't know if this matters, but I'm going to note this here and I know what time it is, so don't worry. Or worry if you wish. I, I note the directions here if, if it matters. I don't know. We read in verse 16, For the Lord shall, what? 
descend from heaven. Okay? The last part of verse 16, and the dead in Christ shall rise. Verse 17, then which we are alive and remain shall be caught up. I don't know if it matters. It's just a note. There are people that believe that heaven is just a different sphere of existence. That, you know, it's like a veil between us. and right. Like heaven could be right here in front of us and we can't. Well, we, we do know that there are principalities and powers. There are spiritual things happening that we don't know. But for what it matters, I think heaven is up. For what it matters, if I hear a trumpet sound that I think is the Lord calling us back, I'm going to... I'm going to, I'm going to try to go up. And if I see you go up and I don't, I'm going to be worried. Okay. Like, don't worry, it's not going to happen. We're trusting Christ. He's made a promise, right? And what is, what is awesome about this promise is the Lord is going to descend. He is going to descend. Can you imagine for a moment what it will be like to see the host of glory? Who do you want to see in heaven? Jesus is a great answer. You got any family you want to see? I'd love to see all of my family in glory. I hope they will all turn to Christ. I hope they all know Christ. But I've got family members who've already died and had a testimony of knowing Christ. I'm really looking forward to seeing them. I wonder what it will be like to see them in the crowd of the saints. That great cloud of witnesses. This morning, this passage leads to other truths. Now, I'm probably going to do what I did last week and save the remainder of the truths that we find based on verses 15 through 17, and lay them out as we come to the end of this passage. Because the Bible, through the blessing of who God is and what he wants us to know, has not left us ignorant on these things. And they have an application. So the application today is simply this. If you know Christ, he's got a future for you in heaven. We're going to see that next week, more in particular. If you have a loved one who's died in Christ, they are with the Lord today. And I'm going to go ahead and say one more time, I really don't think they're looking down from heaven at your life, watching your life. I know you, I know you may not like this sentiment because of how much you miss them. I'm going to tell you, I don't think any saint who's died in the Lord, in presence of the Lord, is missing us. I think they're enjoying the full presence of God, the full blessing of heaven. I think it's overwhelming. Even coming here today, there are some of you that are here for the first time in a congregation worshiping God together, and you feel it. You feel the singing in this room, and you're thanking the Lord that we can sing in Idaho while other places have issues. What do you think it's going to be like when we sing together in the presence of God? What do you think that'll be like? What do you think it'd be like to, matter of fact, this is such a mystery to us, we don't even know what we're going to look like. We just know that there'll be no reference to the sin curse upon anyone in glory. None. None. 
Now, this is what should happen at this point. Admittedly, our society is upside down. People are at unrest. And I'm going to tell you, I think it's almost impossible to navigate in this world to please everybody. But I know this morning, the Lord wants every believer in this room to be encouraged with the hope that we have in Christ. And most specifically, the hope of what it means to have a loved one who's with him now. He wants us to be encouraged by that. So I'm going to say with everything that's going on in the world, and all the political unrest and all the social unrest, we this morning should be encouraged because as a believer, we have a place of belonging in Christ. We are held in his hand. I am his and he is mine. And as we're going to see next week, everything that he has in front of us is good. And with this last thought, I'll close. Not only... Is everything that he has in front of us good? But I believe that it's good to be a believer today. I believe it's good to walk with the Lord right now. I am so thankful that he's my Savior. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful with no matter what anybody else may think about me, and maybe even justly so, I am forgiven in Christ. If you know him as your savior, there is not one sin he's going to hold against you in eternity. The blood of Jesus has covered you. And if you know Christ, that means you stand before him holy, clean, purified, and as white as snow, forgiven. Every last sin. So believer, listen, you're going to leave this room today. Hopefully you'll come back tonight for service, but you're going to leave this room today. You're going to enter back into a world that is upside down. Take the hope of glory with you. And don't just take it with you. Live the hope of glory. Be peace-filled. Be joy-filled. Be stable in Christ. Be anchored in Christ, who not only is our hope, but folks, he is coming again. He is coming again.